Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. We have a very exciting, interesting show for you folks today. We have Robbie Young on the other side of the mic. He's the CEO of Animoca Brands. He's been there as CEO since 2014. Robbie, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And I think with that, with that intro, I feel like I have a, a bit to live up to. I think you're going to live up to it. I think you're going to live up to it, Robbie. We've been we've been waiting for this one for for a bit. So thanks for taking taking the time. I mean, for folks not familiar with what you guys are doing and and the degree to which you guys have really shaped the meteoric rise of NFTs in 2021 spilling into 2022. Paint us the paint us a picture. Sure. Um, so I guess from the from the most simplistic point of view, we're a game developer and we make games. Um, we've been doing that for a very long time. And back in 2017, at the end of 2017, we had our first taste of, of working at the intersection of blockchain and games with a collaboration with a company called Axiom Zen, uh, now known as Dapper Labs, uh, on a game called CryptoKitties. So we published CryptoKitties uh, in Greater China, and that was kind of our our intro to what it means, you know, what are NFTs, how tokenizing game content, and this whole idea. Um, and from there, we pretty much never looked back. We decided to pivot the whole business to just focus on what it means to make games on the blockchain. And at the same time, we began a process of making strategic investments off the balance sheet um, to support the ecosystem largely. And so we invested in you know all our friends' businesses around us who were creating them at the time, like Dapper and OpenSea and Sky Mavis and, and companies like that. And then we just it just kind of snowballed, and so we we kept you know making small investments to support the ecosystem. And here we are, um, you know, almost five years later, and uh, about two hundred companies that we've invested in so far, and uh, and still growing. So. It's pretty interesting. You you had this 
almost come to the blockchain Jesus moment, if you will. Was that hard to get buy-in? I mean, you're the CEO, so if you got if you got convinced and caught by the bug, it's it's easy to kind of propel that through the entire organization. But how did you get people comfortable with this idea of being, you know, a, a crypto first company? I mean, you guys have you guys are really entrenched in crypto at this point. So it almost seems like weird to think of you guys as not being yes. involved in the space, but yes. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um I think it was easier than it is for many um, because the DNA of the company has always been one of a scrappy startup trying to stay at the sort of forefront of innovation. And, and we've, I think we've tried always to pioneer bits and pieces of whatever industry we've been a part of. So when we entered mobile gaming, we pioneered lots of things. We were very early on Android. We were very early on new advertising formats and new gameplay formats. And we're always trying to figure out ways to stay ahead of the curve to you know to grow the business and to do exciting things and so i think that the team is ready to embrace change um and they they're still doing that even though we pivoted to blockchain five years ago because we're we're still having to invent new stuff on a daily basis um, as most people in the space are and, and so i think that was a good predisposition but more than that i think when we looked at what it means to put a game on the blockchain i think that it's quite compelling, and when you when you think of it as a as a game developer, your main concern is what are my customers going to think? Are my customers going to be able to adapt to this change? And the way we looked at it was quite simplistic. The idea, you know, most games we made free to play games. So to us, games are all about buying an in-game currency, spending that virtual currency to buy virtual items, and having more fun with your virtual items. And so the idea of putting that on the blockchain really just means you have a fungible token for your in-game currency and you have NFTs for your playable in-game items, but you're not actually asking the players to do anything different. They're still spending money, buying cool stuff. However, there's a big but. Um, and the big but is that they actually own that stuff. So they have some agency over it. And if you can give that true digital ownership so that people see that they can trade their stuff or just be able to have autonomy over it. Um, that's actually a real game changer. Um, unfortunately, it's most compelling once you experience it. It sounds nice, but because people have been lulled into the last 30 years of how games have been, you don't really understand the magic of being able to sell something and sort of exit your, your in-game item uh, until you actually do it. And then it's like, wow, did I just do that? Yeah. I mean, there's on that side of the equation, it is simple, somewhat frictionless relative to at least traditional gaming to extract value from what you're already putting into a game. So, you know, the skins that you have, the in-game items that you're using, the, the, the sort of clout that you're building within a game community, mm -hmm. all of these things more frictionlessly can be leveraged moved out of the ecosystem and leveraged in many different ways. But I think on the flip side of that, there's still a huge barrier to entry in terms of the UX, the mm -hmm. UI, onboarding, opening up a wallet, getting involved, having to acquire, you know, in the instance of Sandbox, sand tokens to really play the game to the fullest extent. Mm-hmm. 
which is mm-hmm. which is a tall order for some people. Yes, I think it's um, I think it's a little bit like you know people have gotten used to automatic transmissions and to go back to a manual and even though it gives you more control over your car, maybe it's a, a little bit of an ask. Um, I think one of the funny things is that we forget just how difficult it was when we first onboarded ourselves to mobile. Um, if you think back to when you actually first had to create a Google Play Store account or an iTunes account and sync your credit card with it, and and it didn't work the first time or the third time or the fifth time, but eventually it worked, and then it forgot your password and your password didn't work. And, and these are common problems. But because those centralized platforms have basically owned all of your information for so long now, I think we've forgotten that we actually onboarded a decade ago. So what we're doing now when we open up new apps on our mobile devices, for example, is we're not actually onboarding because we're already on the train. And so you're just downloading and starting a new application, but you've already KYC'd, you've already, you know, to use the crypto terms. And so I think if you if you make that comparison to originally onboarding your first smartphone, then actually blockchain is easier. It's an interesting point. Um, you have a really great seat or a really great vantage point, being that you guys, correct me if the number's wrong, have invested in over 150 different companies across the crypto space. You obviously operate the Sandbox as sort of the the owner to an extent of, mm-hmm. of that brand. You've invested in... OpenSea, Dapper Labs, Guild Games, Axie. And these are these are companies and projects that are now worth billions of dollars. I think you guys are now worth something north of uh, it was a very specific US dollar amount uh, in terms of the amount you raised. It was like 358 million. Yes, it was it was very very specific. It was very specific. 358888 I believe. Yeah, at a at a five billion pre money valuation, so you're big, uh, you're you're a unicorn a few times over. You've got your your proverbial tentacles across many different projects. What's being done right, and what's being done wrong in terms of <laughs> developing blockchain based games? Sure. Um- I think I think there's a lot being done right. It's very difficult, I think, to critique because we're still so early in the cycle that most of us are making it up as we go along. We're trying to learn from the experiences that each other have had, um, and we're trying to we're trying to put that into place in terms of best practices. But I can tell you that with every new game we launch, there's no there's no fixed playbook. We always do something new that we've never, ever done before. And we're like, will this work? Well, let's try it and see. Maybe we tweak the tokenomics. Maybe we tweak the, you know, the way in which... So I, I'll give you some examples, right? So we've recently launched a game called Phantom Galaxies. It's you know, mm. the first AAA blockchain game. And so alongside Phantom Galaxies, we have a plan to um, launch a token, in-game token. Um, and unlike traditional methodologies, we've elected to tie, uh, so we're not going to sell the token. And so the only way to obtain the token is to first invest in the game ecosystem and play in the game. So it's a 
it's a space-themed game, and you need to buy a planet uh, or an asteroid, and then you have to work it. And so you have to participate in the game. And that's really important to us because what we want to do is we want to continually develop the community there. And so if people are after um, in-game rewards in the form of, of in-game currency, then they need to work. Um, we don't just want pure financial speculators who, you know, can be good in providing liquidity, but also can exacerbate volatility. And so we're experimenting with a new model that says, look, if you want to come and have the token, join the ecosystem and play. And we'll see if it works. But it, uh, to our knowledge, is not something anybody's done before. How do you sort of maintain the economy, the sort of in-game economy from mm -hmm. collapsing? I had, I had the Axie folks on not too long ago, and I, I raised the same question. But there's kind of two questions here. One, how do you, like, there is a gaming economy in a sense, right? There mm -hmm. are people who are, it's not necessarily showing up to work to, to earn a salary, but playing the game to ascertain tokens or, or some sort of financial gain and have fun as well. And then there's also a, a token tied to it. So how do you sort of keep the game operating efficiently, mm -hmm. even if, let's say the token were to see a 80% drawdown, it almost adds another level of complexity to some degree that would seep into the game experience, right? It would yes. be, it would be um, cataclysmic if, if for some reason there was a, a, a sharp drawdown. Yes. So I think, um, I think the first point would be something that actually Alex from, from Sky Mavis um, said I remember in Q4 of last year, he's like, I think we should start calling it play and earn because play to earn is perhaps a misnomer because we want some people to play and some people to earn and some people to do both, but we want everybody to be able to do what they like in the environment and not really focus them on one behavior. I think when we look at designing tokenomics in a game, um, our thematic, if you will, or our philosophy is that we design tokenomics for the purpose of enhancing community, as opposed to specifically maximizing revenue for us as a company or maximizing yield or, you know, there are many different ways that you can kind of tweak it from an, from an economist's standpoint. Um, and, and we focus on community because our view is that the greater the extent to which you can build community, then everything else flows from there. We as the developer will make money, it will generate revenue, because your goal in, in designing that game economy, um, which is very much different from a traditional non-blockchain game, your goal in designing that economy is to focus on GDP, essentially, or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, kind of the, the economic activity inside the game. Whereas in a traditional game, it's just about, it's like a, it's like a storefront. You're trying to sell as much stuff from developer to consumer, and that's it. You maximize your revenue and you continue printing new stuff. It's like the difference between managing a, you know, a GameStop store and managing a, a small nation city. state. <laughs> exactly. State, yeah. Exactly. And, and so our job is very much more like one of a government from an economic standpoint, because we levy what's akin to a tax on the ecosystem for providing the ecosystem. Um, so, you know, that's in most cases, um, around 5%, I think, is where the industry has coalesced for transaction fees. But otherwise, our focus is on encouraging economic activity. It doesn't have to be, you know, us selling things to customers. It can be customers selling amongst themselves. And to keep that healthy, 
Now, I think the guys from Sky Mavis have had a very interesting problem, which, um, you know, as they say, is a nice problem to have, which is that they were they were unbelievably wildly successful beyond their imaginations. Um, mm-hmm. And so they continually had to innovate from a technological standpoint, as well as a business model standpoint, to just try to solve problems with scaling, problems with overwhelming demand. You know, they, they ended up launching a second token, they ended up creating their own blockchain, their own wallet, all these different things to solve problems. And, and that, I think, is frankly a badge of honor because to me, that's very emblematic of the blockchain game industry. We're very early, uh, as I mentioned, and so we're constantly you know, having to innovate to try to solve new problems. And, and the coolest part of that process is that we're not alone in that, in that journey. So if you look at one of the big problems that Axie had, it was that Axies themselves, which you need to play the game, were becoming prohibitively expensive. So, you know, Gabby Dizon, who's one of the Axie super fans, um, decided to create software so that he could rent his Axies to other people, and hence the guild industry was born. Mm-hmm. But the cool part was that, you know, he didn't even need to ask permission to do that. He just created an innovation layer on top of their game. And now, you know, we see that have you know we see guilds having an impact industry wide on top of every game. Um, so I think, you know, people often ask me what is what what are you most excited about, and I'm actually most excited about the stuff that I can't imagine happening with my products because other people are going to innovate those things, not us, because we can't think of every cool thing. I'm kind of glad you you gave that example of. Solving for a game becoming almost a, a victim of its own success, I kind of gave the flip side of that, which is what if the token draws down 80%, but even a draw up or a an appreciation of 80% can create its own headaches. Mm-hmm. And so just looking at both of those scenarios, whether the token price fluctuates, gyrates, there are solutions that can be found or figured out yes. to solve for this unique aspect of having a liquid, ever gyrating token tied to it. Do you have to have economists? Yes. Do you think? Do you have to have people with that background helping you solve for economic problems? And and you do. So yeah. uh, you have to you have to have economists. They have to be typically macroeconomists and. You actually, I mean, we, we've been hiring people lately who come from backgrounds that we feel reflect the mission of what we do in these kind of games. And it's, and it's kind of a funny idea that, I'll give you a good example. So we just hired one of our senior leadership team who, amongst other things in his background, ran one of the world's largest bus companies. Mm. It's the Kowloon Motor Bus in Hong Kong, which is the largest private bus company in the world. And what we liked about that particular piece of his background is that running a private bus company is a for-profit business that is also a public good and a public service. Mm. And we feel that that actually mirrors what we do in blockchain gaming because in an open metaverse, we're providing a public service. But at the same time, we need to be mindful that you know we need to make a profit for our shareholders. And you need to balance those two things and not put one at the expense of the other. So what are some of the problems he's solving for or looking at? 
the thing that you end up flipping on on its heads and at risk of getting into the weeds of economics where I will fast get over my in over my head um, I think the thing that you need to solve for mainly is that for game developers we need to change our thinking completely from an infinitely inflationary economy to a fixed economy and so lots of things change because then you end up with a focus on asset appreciation where you have no inflation because as more users come into the system you don't have manufactured scarcity which is what people talked about a lot in the early days of nfts you actually have actual scarcity because you know if you make a million widgets and then 10 million users come in and 100 million users you still have those original million widgets so you end up with scarcity by virtue of the market growing and i think that's what we find now in blockchain games because as more and more people come on to blockchain and then find these entertainment products the items in those games will become more and more valuable as more users come into the system and that's part of the calculus i mean i think that's why all of us in the in this industry now are going to experience strong growth for quite some time because of this continual onboarding of new users and so we have to design our game economies to think about what it means to focus on the increase in asset value as opposed to the lever of printing more money, which has been the historic, you know, go-to. Well, you know, we haven't sold enough swords in our game this month. Print more swords, if you will. <laughs> That's pretty funny. There's a lot of complexity there. There's a lot of, I mean, we could probably talk about what an economic collapse in a game looks like for an hour. But I want to maybe ask you some questions about just running a company of this nature, right? It's fairly it's fairly complex given that you're you're making investments, you are developing games, but you also own the sandbox, which has its own community and its own mm -hmm. token. So there's a lot of tokens, there's a lot of games, there's a lot of investments. I mean, just I, I feel like from an accounting standpoint, this this gets very <laughs> this gets very confusing very quickly. But maybe walk us through the relationship between all of these components, and you know, how do you, as an executive, oversee all of this sure. together and ensure that you know there's autonomy so that folks can kind of go and do their own thing, but also you know not waste capital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think um, the way we do this is we've we've always felt that in the game industry, innovation tends to come in relatively small team sizes. You know, there there are not that many game companies in the world where you see thousands and thousands of people working as a as a big corporation with lots of layers and hierarchy and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know, there are noteworthy examples. Obviously, EA and Activision and Ubisoft. There are some big ones, but we see a lot of innovation in smaller teams and we've and that's where we've operated for years we've always been a small to medium sized studio and as we grew one of the things we wanted to do was maintain what we felt was that kind of small group innovation because we see great games being built by you know teams of 50 people you don't necessarily need 500 people to make an amazing game and so we grew in what we what we you know loosely call the federated model and mm. as we've um, acquired more studios through M&A activity, 
um, they remain quite autonomous. And this includes a studio like Pixel, who uh, created The Sandbox, and which we've now spun out you know, that particular game as its own studio. And the idea is to identify and find great teams who just could use a little bit of help. Um, and one of the things that we did early on was focus on trying to help them to do the stuff that a small studio struggles with. So when you're a 25-person studio, you don't really have the resources for a lot of back office, for example, legal, accounting, HR, sort of the nitty-gritty stuff. But you also don't necessarily have the resources for a marketing team or user acquisition team or a data analytics team, things that are part of the nuts and bolts of making games and publishing games. So if we can centralize some of that and allow a 25-person team to go back to being 100% focused on game development, and then we take on board the non-game development type of things, um, they can be much more productive and often much happier. Because what I've often encountered is entrepreneurs who got into game development and started a studio because they love coding and making games. Mm. And three years into it, they're like, well, I haven't written a line of code in two years because I'm too busy you know, filling out leave applications for people. Yeah, sort of the mundane human resources tasks and hiring tasks. Exactly. Definitely resonates with me. So I guess the long and the short of it to your question is we're now probably north of 750 people, um, but we are also a dozen companies or a dozen studios, and they're all quite autonomous, and they're all working on their own projects. And so our job as the sort of overarching group um, is to help them to not only be the best they can be, but also figure out how they can help each other to be successful and benefit from the fact that there's a sort of a, a sibling relationship. Kind of like some, kind of like a hub and spoke model. Exactly. Exactly. And in the case of blockchain games, that actually works really well because we're all doing stuff that's so new. Then we bring on a new studio, for example, and we're like, and they're like, oh, well, we're thinking of launching our new game on Polygon or something like that. And we can say, okay, well, talk to this studio over here because they just launched on Polygon last month and they can share mm. learnings with you. That's fascinating. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. 
This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A crypto fin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. How do you feel about or what's your reaction to a lot of the vitriol that exists among very hardcore gamer types when it comes to crypto? I mean, it's almost like oil and water to an extent (laughs) with some of these people. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think there's probably a lot of stuff that traditional game development studios have done to burn a lot of users. Mm -hmm. I think technology historically has not always benefited the end users to an extent or new technologies. So maybe there is some good reason for them to be skeptical, but how would you mollify some of their concerns that they have about what this means? How or why, rather, should they trust someone like you versus folks who are not building games on the blockchain? Mm. You're pretty forthcoming about, you know, we need to deliver return to our shareholders. So are you not just as, um, as capitalistic and and scary as some of the traditional (laughs) game development firms? Sure. So I think, I think the most important thing is we have a different philosophy towards this because, you know, I think if we were, if we were sitting here having this conversation five or eight years from now, and the blockchain game industry or the game industry, because by that point, I think it will pretty much all have blockchain inside, so to speak, um, is maturing and you have to get more sharp elbowed to chase after customers, then you're in a different kind of a market. But at this point in time, um, I think there's a reason that people say on Twitter, we're all going to make it because we're early. And I think that's part of the theme and the industry is incredibly cooperative and collaborative. I think my personal view on the vocal minority um, who objects to the idea of blockchain in their games. Um, I think that minority objects to anything in their games that's different from the games that they loved 25 years ago. They objected to mobile. They objected to in-app purchases and freemium. Uh, they object to everything because they're in the business of objecting to stuff. But they tend to be louder. The Luddite loud class Yes. Of gamers. I think there's also an environmental component too. I mean, there is, there is. Although I think that that one, unfortunately is one of those things where I wish people would just do a little bit more homework because I think that the environmental question is perfectly valid when we talk about things like Bitcoin and proof of work networks. But to a large extent, our industry has moved on from that and gaming was never built on Bitcoin. Well, other applications besides the ownership of Bitcoin were not built on Bitcoin. And so um, 
yes, Ethereum had the same issue, but we've largely moved on from that and solved that problem for at least a year now. And yet this issue keeps coming up only because people haven't actually looked up and done their homework to see, well, actually, you know, if you build games on layer two scaling solutions, this is not really a problem anymore. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of confusion, right? Yes. And people probably look at, it's the same reason why people hate the board ape community. They see money falling from the sky and maybe there's a bit of, um, there's a bit of FOMO to an extent or saltiness for not having participated mm -hmm. or, or just letting it kind of run past you. I want to talk about just like concepts and how you think about them. There's so many new phrases and terms and many guests that come on will opine on why they abhor a certain term. <laughs> Metaverse is one that that can, you know, make people feel enraged. Because sometimes these terms miss the core of what these things are. So there's metaverse, there's GameFi. You you even brought up your own issues with play to earn or or mm -hmm. issues that some of your colleagues have had with that phrase. So how do you think of when you think of something like the sandbox, right? It is yes. it is a blockchain game. Mm -hmm. but it is a metaverse. Mm -hmm. um, let's focus on metaverse. Okay. Is that is this an appropriate word? Like, should we be yes. using... Yeah. So I think, I think the way that I place it in sort of perspective is that the idea of the metaverse is a big idea. And I say that having actually read Snow Crash in 97 and been inspired to invest in a startup some friends were doing to build the metaverse back in 97. So it's been a long road uh, from mm. that perspective. But I think the idea of the metaverse, you know, runs along a spectrum. You've got the spectrum of the full VR alternate reality immersive one that, you know, people imagine from film and television. And I think that that's something that is great for science fiction and we'll probably get there eventually as a society, but that's not that's not today's metaverse. I think the reason for the term metaverse as opposed to video game or social media network or whatever you want to call a big online application with lots of community there. I think the reason that we use this term metaverse is because of two factors. One, with blockchain inside, you end up with the ability to have a secure financial layer that allows for peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So what this means is that this space that you inhabit online also has the ability to be a space that is safe for work and commerce. And that means that a place where you used to spend your time for pleasure can now be a place where you spend your time for everything. And we saw this in Axie Infinity where people were playing to earn and earning a living for a period of time there in the game. So I think it opens up that possibility with the financial underpinning. Now, the other part that I think is really key to the, the differentiation between a metaverse and just a game is the fact that things are interconnected. They're interconnected by fungible tokens. They're interconnected potentially by interoperable NFT-based content. The idea that stuff can work together is new. Mm. We've, had, we've had incredible immersive video games for years, but they've always existed as silos. And so mm. when you think of the, imagine the game industry where every single game is connected to every other game. 
even simple stuff like imagine your account so that the value that you've put on deposit in the game you can transfer from one to the other i mean even just that most basic thing starts to build an interconnected web so when you asked me about the sandbox the way i view the sandbox is yes it is a metaverse because it's a land metaphor game that builds a world but i think of the sandbox as a city if i want to use the metaphor of the earth and countries and cities so mm. what we're trying to do with the sandbox is we're trying to build a fantastic product which we hope is akin to a new york london tokyo you know etc major global city we hope that people enjoy spending time and congregating there in bigger numbers than in other places yeah but it's only going to be one of many or it's like a web page right i mean yeah a web page connected to this broader worldwide exactly web. and there are going to be many of them there are going to be ones with different art styles there are going there's going to be you know a version of the sandbox in korean and hindi and tagalog and you know because the blockchain game community now is largely english language for example so mm -hmm. we're really just scratching the surface but to me the metaverse is that entire earth analogy and the games we're creating today are just cities and towns and you have many interesting players making a stake in these cities and towns. We reported on JP Morgan setting up a lounge in Decentraland, mm -hmm. HSBC, the very large bank that operates, I think it's UK-based, but it's better known for operating across Asia. They set up shop or bought some land. Mm -hmm. in, in the sandbox in the sandbox being the first i guess financial services firm to enter the sandbox i beat them to it jokes on you hsbc <laughs> um why are they doing that do you think what do you think is the end game for financial services firms i see it i'll give my opinion first go for it it's kind of like the same reason why they why banks continue to maintain their storefronts. It's like a marketing type of play to keep the brand in your mind as you, you know, drive down Main Street or in this case, meander around a digital world. You see, you see it. Mm -hmm. And then you think, okay, yeah, this is a company I want to do business with. But I wonder, and the question, the more specific question for you is, but can it be more than that? Can it be more than just a brand recognition? type of play can they mm -hmm. actually operate and provide services in this world sure so i think that i absolutely agree with you i think that the the initial thought from their end is that of course it's it's branding it's connecting with a community because they want to be in a market where there is a new type of community and if you think of early adopters of blockchain games they tend to be you know, relatively affluent customers, you know, just the kind of customers a bank would be interested in connecting to. So I think part of it is, look, you know, we're doing something cool, engaging with a new community. Um, I think in the long term, definitely, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to operate financial services from within an outpost inside the sandbox. I think that largely depends upon whether their traditional banking business embraces digital currencies, because then obviously, you know, the metaphor applies. Why can't you have ATMs and services inside the sandbox that connect to your your, your own accounts outside of the sandbox? Mm. 
It'll be interesting to see how that how that shapes up. You know, I always think it's funny to think about a a like trading floor in the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, imagine if Neil got like a dollar for every time that term was thrown around. <laughs> He'd be sitting pretty somewhere. I'm sure, he's I'm sure he's doing all right. Okay, so I want to be respectful of your time. So maybe we can kind of wrap things up around focusing on what you're excited for. So you've raised all this money, three hundred and fifty-eight, eight, 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 eight. I don't know if I added an extra eight there. How's that being deployed? I mean, it's a mix, I guess, of building, maybe investing as well. What what's going on? Sure. I think it for most of this it goes along two fronts. One is continuing to grow our studio business, and that includes M&A activity, so acquiring more studios, and at the same time also um, continuing on our sort of relentless pace of minority investing to grow the ecosystem. Because at the end of the day, the reason we invest in the ecosystem is not just to grow the ecosystem, but also because we really believe in the network effects of bringing on new teams and applications and products into our interconnected blockchain world. Because for every Web2 game developer who we bring into Web3 and they create a great blockchain game, those NFTs, those tokens, those customers can all work together with everything else in our portfolio and in in the portfolios of everybody else in our industry. And so we see that as a net positive and that it's actually sort of a one plus one equals more than two activity. When you're bringing on a new studio, what is it that you're looking for? I think, um, of course, it's it's great to find studios of people who have a track record of making great games and understanding how to tell stories. And you know, game developers are not not hard to find and not easy to find. Let's just say, mm. you know, there are lots of great game developers out there, and there are lots of not so good game developers because it's a big industry. So you have to filter through. But I think the most important quality is you have to find a team who has the mindset to embrace what Web3 can mean for what they do. And that's actually harder than you think. It's less about the the naysayers that we spoke of earlier and more about being able to get out of your historical mindset to be able to embrace a medium that is similar but actually very different as well at the same time. So like, you know, you have to you have to abandon everything you know about an in-game economy because you don't have that tool of hyperinflation anymore. You know, you have to think about your gameplay totally differently and you have to think about things like, okay, I'm going to build this game, but then what's my strategy in future for other people to bring their NFTs from other games into my game? Right? So if I think of the Board Ape Yacht Club. Mm-hmm. What's my strategy for somebody who owns an ape to come and play my game? Why would they want to come to play my game? So you have to start to think about that interoperability piece very thoughtfully, as opposed to just tokenizing your stuff, but still kind of building your game as an island. So what advice would you give to new entrants to the blockchain gaming space? What might make them successful? I think they need to embrace this spirit of the open source community that the blockchain game space has. This idea of collaborating with everybody else. And you have to be able to escape 
the idea that you're capturing and building a moat around your customers. Because traditionally, games are all about bringing on board as many users as possible mm. and keep them for as long as possible. And don't let them go anywhere. Exactly, before they start to spill over and spill out. Whereas now, you have to be open to the idea that people are going to come, buy some NFTs, play for a while, but they may go elsewhere. They may bring their NFTs elsewhere and go away, and then they may come back again. And so you're going to have customers who come to you from other places, and you're going to have locals. Just like if you're a restaurant in New York City, you're going to have natives and you're going to have tourists. And you have to think about those constituencies and how you cater to them. We just have to look at all this as geography in some sense. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of old, so I need analogies like that to help, help myself no, I, make sense of it. I think it's important, and I've, I definitely appreciate it. And it's something that we're hearing more and more on the show. We had a guest a few days ago who, who thinks about it in the same exact way. Robbie Young, CEO of Animoca Brands, thank you so much for coming by, chatting with us. This was, this was really cerebral, I think. Cool. Well, it was great to chat. No, I think I think it's interesting, and and you know, any opportunity to share with people what we love to do is is always welcome. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Where can our listeners learn more about about you and what you're working on? I think honestly, you know, we have a website. You can see all our projects there at animocabrands.com. But of course, Twitter, the center of the uh, crypto, um, you know, town circle. Um, <laughs> so come and come and find us and all our projects on Twitter. And if you really want to jump down the rabbit hole, then then go to Discord. Yeah. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an amazing day, everyone.